Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back in to the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We've got another game week to get into. It is Halloween, the last day of October. Two-thirds of the season are in the books. We have a November uh, with four games on the schedule that will determine what lies ahead for Penn State in terms of postseason conversation and what lies ahead for them in terms of national perception because I think a lot of us spotted Penn State through a couple months at 6-2. and two. Maybe people had them losing earlier at Auburn or at Purdue and having three losses to this point. But for a long time, going back to this offseason, it felt like this Penn State season and, and what we were going to make of it was going to hinge on what happened in November. We'll do some looking ahead on this episode, but as usual on Monday, we bring back Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon right here into the Lions 24-7 podcast and get an opportunity to look back a bit at the most recent matchup. And of course, this is a conversation that's going to be had for a long time when reviewing Penn State versus Ohio State, modern era of college football. This is a matchup we're going to be discussing time and time again. Mark sitting next to you in the press box it was like watching that pendulum go back and forth back and forth in the fourth quarter uh, ultimately though ohio state was able to get successive successful plays and penn state did not have the responses we talked about the turnovers a lot in our last episode we talked about how the defense uh, the wheels came off a bit uh, as those possessions piled up for ohio state where do you want to start this conversation on a monday I guess maybe I'll I'll paint it in a semi-positive way in saying that, you know, this was yet another game for Penn State against Ohio State, the bellwether program in the Big Ten. I mean, the program by which every other Big Ten program is measured. And Penn State proved that athletically, physically, speed, all of those things, it's right there with that program. That's the positive. The negative is... How many times have we seen this picture where Penn State is right there and either can't claw back and get over the hump or has a lead and allows Ohio State to escape at the end? And that's the that's the I think that what that's the difficult thing for fans to kind of absorb. I, I think they're almost resigned to the fact like after that game, I didn't catch like terrible anger coming from the stands. I, I heard one person yell at Franklin or going through the tunnel, you know, the fans actually seem sort of not happy, but, you know, they, they, they weren't. I've gone through that tunnel where fans were freaking out after a loss on, on the team and on, uh, and on James Franklin. And, and I think everybody's just kind of resigned to, the, to this is what it is. They can't take that next step. And, and so the positive is 
you're right there with Ohio State on so many different key levels. Arguably, as much as anybody else in the Big Ten, clearly Michigan made a major stride last year. So you can make the argument for Michigan. But you're right there. But unfortunately for Penn State, and it's going to be the same thing next next year, you're in the same division as, as this team. And until you're able to prove that you can get over that, you're not going to be fighting for Big Ten and national titles. It's just not going to happen. You look at our predictions for this game, and every single person but one, and I think Ed, our special guest, was just trying to help out so it wasn't all people predicting uh, Penn State, but everybody picked Ohio State to win. I mean, nobody, everybody expected this to happen. Did we expect it to happen in the way it happened? Probably not. You know, I don't think anybody would have expected them to be up 21, what was it, 15 or whatever it was, uh, 16 in the fourth, like nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and then give up 28 points and simply implode. But you're right there. And every time you figure a way to snatch victory from the, or to, to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Yeah, we all did pick Ohio State, but we all did pick Penn State to cover at Relatively 15 close. and a half yeah. point margin. And because we've seen enough of these matchups, and I know, Daniel, you're a little bit newer to the beat, but you followed this one from afar in the past. And Penn State has had that pedigree. I think that you mentioned something interesting here is the post-game attitude after a loss to Ohio State right now in 2022 feels different than the post-game attitude after Ohio State lost in 2018. When this matchup really felt like kind of an early play-in game to get to Indianapolis, you're a couple weeks removed from getting beat down in Michigan. That's not going to help things. But, Daniel, that's the danger to me in November. You have to really assert yourself as that next team behind a pen, uh, behind an Ohio State or a Michigan rather than falling back to the cluster. Because I think that since that 2018 loss to where we are in 2022, Penn State has not made the positive momentum in going higher up the ladder towards Penn State or towards Ohio State, I should say, while Michigan has improved their, their standing on that ladder. Instead, they've kind of you know fallen back to the pack a little bit with some, by picking up some of these losses. Uh, you lose to an Indiana in 2020. You lose to Maryland. Uh, you know, last year, you lose to an Illinois. Those things start to add up, and it, it starts to impact national perception, but also just the way that, that you are gauged in the Big Ten Conference. And that, to me, is why November is so important, because you got to figure out where exactly they lie in the conference hierarchy. And I think we've got a lot of figuring out to do after the last two seasons and eight games. Yeah. When you look at kind of the, excuse me, uh, when you look at kind of the tiers within uh, the, the big 10 last year, Michigan state took that leap and, you know, leapfrogged Penn state asserted itself, made a new year six bowl. um, And they've fallen back to the pack this year. So I think that if you're Penn state, you want to assert yourself as that, you know, above this tier of teams that's coming up. Um, you know, the next four teams on on Penn State's schedule are all the teams that are behind them um, in the Big Ten standings. And I think that when you look at, you know, any sort of positive that, that you can get out of this from, you know, I mean, this is probably the, the low point of the season, um, lower than, than Michigan, because after the Michigan game, you had that, okay, there's that Ohio State game. We're not completely out of it yet. Um, but at this point, you know, it's going to be probably Ohio State or Michigan uh, in Indianapolis in December. Um, so I think that what you need to do is, you know, you need to assert yourself, find your footing, finish strong and show that you're still that next team up. Um, that if Ohio State, if Michigan stumble, that you're you're well positioned to take that leap 
um, you know, to be there to take advantage of mistakes. Um, I know that that's probably not the most comforting thing right now for uh, a fan base that has its eyes on a Big Ten title, that has its eyes on competing nationally. Um, but, you know, we saw where where things stand um, with how the games against Michigan and Ohio State went. Um, those are the top two teams in the Big Ten East, and Penn State needs to, you know, figure out where it stands, and it can solidify where it stands over these last four weeks. Now, fairly soon, guys, we're going to be in an era of college football where we get to November covering a two-loss team, and we're still talking about college football playoff possibilities. I'm really excited for it. I think it's going to be great for a lot of college football fans, a lot of people who cover college football because it'll open up that conversation deeper into the autumn. But where we are right now in the current structure, the fact of the matter is you pick up your second loss – and you have to now start to bring into play that springboard launch pad conversation about where you want to be going into December, January, when the transfer portal is, is, is really picking up, when you've got some high-priority prospects still out there. And generally, you're just trying to make sure that, that you are going in with a sense of positive momentum. And Penn State hasn't been able to do that year in, year out. Um, you know, before we start talking about trying to go 4-0 the rest of the way, Mark, do you think there is something to – the attitude adjustment, I guess, in the way that this game was kind of viewed, where if Penn State pulled off a win, great, it's a, it's an awesome surprise, but the result was kind of as expected. Whereas in 18, it felt like more of a coin flip, and people were genuinely angry uh, when this team lost and, 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 and not feeling like, hey, it would have been upset. They felt like they belonged in that matchup. Do you sense something like that in, in a, a four-year span where there has been a change of sorts? Yeah, you know, I, I guess, it, and maybe I'm talking out of place here in terms of the structure of the show today, but yeah, I think that's why some of us were arguing that Minnesota would have been the game to go with Drew Aller because what was the argument then? We knew what Clifford was all about. We knew what Sean Clifford was all about, and when he got into, all, into those games against the elite teams, he struggled. And I don't want to say I told you so, but yeah, I mean, Clifford was player of the week, Big Ten offensive player of the week against Minnesota. And I won't add the pause because I don't want to, that wouldn't be funny at this point. But so would Aller have given you a better shot to win? I don't know, but I just think we knew what Sean Clifford was. So why I mentioned that is because I think now they're, they're, I think they, in that Minnesota game, for better or worse, whether you like it or not, and I, I think I know which way fans may go on this, but they committed to Sean Clifford for the rest of the season. Because if you were going to play him, you needed to play Aller against Minnesota to prepare him for Ohio State. Why would you play him now? Like You would play him like it, it, later in games and stuff, but I don't think you would start him. Because now you look at Jerry Palm's uh, bowl projections and they still have Penn State going to the Orange Bowl. And I mean, that would be a nice perk at the end of the season. And if you're able to win, to finish the season with four straight wins, and these are the games that Sean Clifford wins, right? These are the games that Sean Clifford wins. And they're going to be favored in every one of these games. So yeah, I mean, I think now they're committed to Sean Clifford and that wasn't great for Ohio State as it turned out. But moving ahead, he gives you the best opportunity to win these four games and carry momentum into next season and get to a New Year's Six Bowl game and do all those things, have the, that positive vibe uh, going into transfer portal season and all those other things. So that's kind of – I know that was a roundabout way to look at it, but, you know, it's kind of the elephant in the room, but I think they made their decision. 
and it didn't work against Ohio State, but maybe they were thinking, hey, if we could at least get to a, a New Year's Six game and finish with, with double-digit wins, that's a good overall thing for the program. That was Sean Clifford's 41st career start. Um, second consecutive game where, where Penn State comes out the gate stumbling offensively. Uh, no points generated in back-to-back weeks in the first quarter. Uh, Sean Clifford's passing stats were not good. Three interceptions in those two first quarters. But we talked about this in the postgame show. They answered back with a couple scoring drives to go up 14-0 in this matchup. The defense was able to do some some uh, you know some stopping of, of the bleeding on, on a Sean Clifford turnover early in the, in the game, forced a long field goal. They were able to, to get going offensively. Seven of eight passing with Sean Clifford on those two possessions, 156 yards, two touchdowns, three throws that went 20-plus. Penn State goes into the locker room on a high off a defensive stand in the, in the red zone, and Sean Clifford's a big part of that reason why. But isn't it always waiting for the other shoe to drop with, with the fan base and, and, frankly, for us in the press box? Because Sean Clifford, you talk about some of the games he has historically won – he has not won these games. And, and, and the signature moments in Sean Clifford's career, it's pretty remarkable. He, he's at the point now, he had an extra season. You know, Trace McSorley didn't get an opportunity to come back for year six. A lot of guys in Penn State history who maybe would have done that did not. But he's now quietly, it seemed, last Saturday, thrown more passes than anybody in a Penn State uniform in history. He's got the most pass attempts past that mark Saturday. Now has the most touchdown throws in Penn State history. Uh, jumped Trace McSorley on that board Saturday when he threw for three scores. But four turnovers on the day, you can talk about how much of that was lent to a virtuoso performance from a from a uh, from an opposing player and how much of that was Sean Clifford not delivering in the moment when they needed him to deliver a clean football. But the bottom line is this is his first three interception game since Minnesota, that Minnesota game in Minnesota in 2019, I should say, when they when they were on beaten season ended. And for me, I think a lot of fans, when when they look back at Sean Clifford's body at work, there's just few signature moments of winning a big game behind his arm, behind his play against a high caliber pro- opponent. A lot of these games are Sean Clifford fighting hard, tooth and nail, overcoming some of his own mistakes, trying to overcome some of his team's mistakes and falling short against those kind of opponents. There's also been some occasions like the Michigan matchup a few weeks ago where there's just been a complete thud on the offensive side of the football and Penn State ha- has been embarrassed on national TV. And I looked through the numbers a little bit. This was his eighth career game, Daniel with 300-plus passing yards. He had 295 last week against Minnesota, so don't want to shortchange that. <laughs> but only three times did they win those games. They're 3-5 and five in his career when he goes 300-plus passing yards. Twice they beat Maryland. Once they beat Villanova. And so, again, modern-day college football, you look at the air assaults going on across the way, the wide receivers putting up huge numbers. This is not really coming off of a clunker of a game offensively in the passing attack, but the numbers just start to stack up in his career. And unfortunately for Sean – they just don't skew in a direction that's going to lead people to say this was a quarterback who delivered big time wins in big time moments. It almost feels like this is a four year stretch where the program tread water for, for phases of that. And unfortunately, fairly or not, much of that is going to get tagged to the QB one during that span. It, it paints the picture of, of a quarterback who couldn't elevate a team or a program by himself, which, you know, I mean, that's, not necessarily a, a bad thing. That is really hard to do. Um, there are only a, a certain number of elite quarterbacks every year. Um, I know that with in terms of some of the, the counting stats and the numbers, you look around and you think that, oh, you know, plenty of you know quarterbacks c- can do that. But, you know, it's a it's a tough position to play. But, you know, he's just never been able to be the one who is going to, to take his team over the hump. Um, 
you know, you, you would see glimpses of it, like the Purdue game where in those last two minutes, he's able to, to lead the team to victory, but that just never translated against the, the better teams in the big 10, the better teams on, on Penn State's schedule. Um, and you know, that's, that's a tough spot to be in. Um, and you know, he's just been a quarterback who needs a lot of things around him going right. Um, in order to to succeed, you look at his first year in, in 2019 when Penn State had a very good and, you know, for the most part, healthy stable of running backs around him. Um, and that'll probably go down as Sean Clifford's best season. And then 2020 COVID year, um, you know, that was just a, a weird situation all around last year, no running game. Um, and then this year, you know, the the running game is is back. And I think that we've seen Sean Clifford play better. Um, with that around him but when it came to the point where all right we need you to make the right decisions we need you to play clean football we need you to to keep this game uh with within reach to to not let it get out of hand um you know in that michigan game um in this ohio state game you know he he couldn't do it um and i think that that's something that a lot of people are going to remember um you know it's interesting when you think about Sean Clifford's place in the record books because he's going to be atop all of these counting stats. Um, but by the time his career is done by, by virtue of, of his longevity, um, which, you know, I'm not, I'm not one of the people that's going to take anything away from him um, because he was around the longest. So he has the most stats. I mean, he's still through, he's still throwing a bunch of touchdown passes. Um, you can't really take that away from him, um, but it'll be interesting, you know, 20, 30 years down the road when, when you look at these, uh, you know, in the record books and, and you see him up so high and then you square that with what the, the reality was uh, for the team during the stretch. Um, it's going to be some really interesting context and, you know, it'll be really interesting to see how history kind of looks back on these four years of Penn State football. I think the problematic part of it is when you think about the, the best overall team performances that Penn State has put together with him as a starting quarterback. And obviously an overall team performance is going to involve a, a strong quarterback performance. Typically, uh, you got to go back to 2019 for several of them. You know, the Cotton Bowl win over Memphis. They they leaned on the ground. I think they set a Cotton Bowl record for rushing yards that day with Journey Brown, Noah Kane, Devin Ford, Ricky Slade all involved there. The Iowa matchup in 2019. Uh, where they kind of won in spite of Sean Clifford. That's the first game we saw him, uh, you know, go on the road against a Big Ten team in that kind of environment. Noah Kane came up big down the stretch. Their defense played phenomenally. They won that in 2019. Um, and, and then I think about some of the, the more recent matchups, a couple against Auburn, of course, uh, last year, this year. But Auburn's coach is probably going to get fired, and, and he's been their coach for these two-year span. And, and so that's kind of the Tigers team that you were facing in those matchups. I know they were a top-25 opponent last year. And then another one that comes to mind that was maybe the best moment of Sean Clifford's career, maybe the most promising moment of Sean Clifford's career, threw three touchdowns in the first half, October 2019, against Michigan in the whiteout. They were taking it to the Wolverines. That was the same weekend that his younger brother, Liam Clifford, committed uh, to, to Penn State. And at that point, you're talking about a redshirt sophomore. And I think the most frustrating part is it, it seems like he maxed out early on in his career. And I think a lot of people have felt like that was the case, especially coming out of this offseason. And the coaching staff who evaluates these guys on a day-to-day -day basis – you know, continues to to pile all the snaps to Sean Clifford, and we're now to, through two thirds of the season. And I think people are just to the point where they want to see what's behind door number two, and, and they're willing to they're willing to see Drew Aller stumble springing out of that second door if it means just getting a chance to see what that might look like. Because Mark, forty one starts is a lot, and when you don't have a lot of those remarkable wins to point to, 
the fatigue really does set in. And especially when you have a head coach and a starting quarterback during each of these years who say we belong in the Big Ten title conversation. That's the expectation. That's where we need to be. It's not us applying that. It's the quarterback and the head coach telling us that at every juncture that that's where they need to be. And that was my point about if you were going to go with a different option, trying to get it in place before this Ohio State game was probably the way to go. But that's beating, you know, an injured or dead horse. I'm sorry, horse fans. I didn't mean to uh, <laughs> to, to go in the wrong direction there. But, no, in all seriousness, you look at the stats from this game, and he's 32 of 47, which is close to 70%. But, I mean, what have I said all season long? I mean, not all season, but the last few games – I mean, Sean Clifford is who he is. He's a 60% career passer. So what does that mean? It means when you throw, when you have the most passing attempts of the season by what was it, 10, Tyler, was 37 the most that he had had before? Yeah, that was 10 more throws on on Saturday than any point in the season. That's giving you that many more opportunities to have incompletions. He's not a 70% thrower. Look at his stats, people. Look at his career stats. It's like unbelievable. He's like right at 60% every single year. And that he, threw, be- he threw 52 times in Columbus last year in that in the th- uh, nine point right. loss. But 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 the point is, 60 used to be like a good stat for a college quarterback. But now, I mean, you have you know, guys like Stroud is a 70 percent thrower. I mean, so I, I just when you lean that heavily on the pass, and the thing is, I get it. It was working. It worked. But you. As you said, at what point is the other shoe going to fall? And they somehow survived the first half. And this is like, to me, all credit to the defense with him having two turnovers and still, you know, leading at the half. But Mm -hmm. then you're waiting and then you're waiting and then they're into the fourth quarter and then boom. I mean, and I know people are saying, well, it was people around him. You know, Bryce Effner didn't throw a good block. and But that that was right in front of him. I mean, that, was, that wasn't his blind side. That was coming at Sean. And I think he could have stepped out of that. And then another interception. And, I mean, to, to the best player on the field in that game, right? I mean, he threw it right to him and just didn't see him. And so I guess the, the point is when you're trying to beat these te- this team that you can't beat, I, what are you expecting is going to happen if you throw over and over and over again with this quarterback? It's that whole thing about what's the definition of insanity, doing the, the, the same thing over and over and over again and having it not work and expecting it to work or something like that. I'm not phrasing it the right way, but I just, again, nobody expected Penn State to win this game. And ultimately, Penn State didn't win this game. And it kind of unfolded, not exactly how we thought, but I think a lot of us did feel that if if Penn State was going to win, that Sean Clifford couldn't make mistakes, right? That he had to be more of a game manager, and that's because that's who he is, and it didn't play out that way. Yeah, and, and this this was a game where C.J. Stroud, um, you know, didn't really get it going until late, and when he got it going, it, you sh- he showed exactly how special he was in key moments on the road in a very impressive environment for a noon kickoff in Beaver Stadium. And, oh, by the way, they're without a a, a couple top performers and and Mayan Williams and Jackson Smith and Jigba, and and they're able to to, to find solutions and come up with stuff. We talked about it the way Ohio State has recruited during the stretch and Penn State trying to catch up there. Those are the things that catch up to you over the course of the game that make the margin for error so small. But Ohio State – 
built the, that that margin for error a little bit bigger in Penn State's favor with the pre-snap penalties, um, with with just the inefficiency on offense that they really hadn't displayed through the first seven games of the season. Um, and ultimately, Penn State was able to move the football. Sean Clifford's stats reflect that. And overall, the offensive stats, Penn State put up nearly 500 total yards. That's more than Ohio State did on Saturday. They moved the football as well as you could have hoped in this matchup. But at the end of it, the cumulative body of work from Saturday, and I think to an extent from the first two-thirds of this game, Daniel, to me is a lot of they are who we thought they were. That's Penn State football. That's Penn State football with Sean Clifford at QB1. Yeah, I mean, the, the game was there uh, for them to win. I think that's kind of what what I keep coming back to is that 21-16, um, you, you looked at what Penn State was doing. Um, they were they were being effective. Uh, Clifford had rebounded pretty nicely from those early mistakes, but um, you know the the wheels fell off. And you know they talk a lot about complementary football in, in wins. I thought this was a very there's a lot of complementary football happening and a loss here um, in terms of the the offense putting the defense uh, in a bad spot off of the strip sack. Ohio State immediately taking advantage of it. Um, I thought that you know the the offense put the defense in some bad spots in that second in that fourth quarter. But at the same time, the defense, when, you know, Ohio state has the ball at the, you know, at the 25 yard line and you have a, you have a lead, you can't let them go 75 yards uh, in, in three plays uh, for a touchdown there. I thought that, um, you know, both sides just kind of broke down in that fourth quarter, but you know, going back to Sean Clifford, I think that going into the year, we kind of knew what the ceiling was in terms of a Clifford quarterbacked team. Um, and that was barring something, you know, unexpected uh, in terms of Clifford taking a leap or, you know, some of the guys around him potentially taking a leap. I think that when you look at the beginning of the season, 10 and two was kind of where we expected this to be. Um, I think we all expected to be six and two at this point in the year. Um, at the same time though, it's, it's easier. It's easy to sit in August and say, Oh, six and two, like, you know, you, you'd feel pretty good about that. Um, you know, coming out of October, going into November, you're in good position for a New Year's Six game, but it's a totally different beast to be in it. Um, and to actually, you know, to be at this point where tomorrow's November 1st, Penn State six and two, but how it got here, what we've seen, um, I think that it colors it a little bit differently. Um, you know, I think Penn State had the opportunity to, to raise the ceiling on its season a little bit with what Mark talked about, where if you give Drew Aller significant run against Minnesota, you know what you have there. Um, you know you can potentially see if he can be a, a game changer uh, in a spot um, against a team like Ohio State. Um, but but we kind of knew where the cap was with Clifford, um, and you know by sticking with Clifford, how Penn State has, um, I think that that's kind of you know why we're in that situation uh, where we are right now. I mean, ten and two is not a bad year by any means, um, especially when you've won only 11 games in the past two seasons. I think that it's a good step back in the right direction. But when you kind of have that what if in the back of your mind where you know that maybe it could have been 11 and one, um, you know, maybe you it would have been, you know, a real game against Michigan where if you get a bounce or something, um, you know, things could go your way. I think that it is something that you'll that might stick with you uh, a little bit longer as you go into the future. 
I think we all have to be a little bit cautious because last year we covered a five and zero team that finished seven and six <laughs> before we start saying this is a ten win team here on on October thirty first because they do need to prove it. And I, and I think the big thing is this is this is another part of modern college football. Guys got an eye elsewhere uh, come November. Unfortunately, I mean if they don't, people are tapping on their shoulder potentially. That's the way it's going to work right now. Hey, why aren't you playing more? Hey, why is this guy playing in front of you? You know, what might the transfer portal be able to do for you? There's all sorts of second guessing you can do if you choose to go down that path when you lose a game like this and, and you lose those college football playoff expectations and, and some of the rose is taken off of the season. But I, I think we've talked about before the leadership in this locker room seems very good. They came back from the Michigan game. They played toe to toe with Ohio State like no one has this season. And I think Ohio State's going to be better for it. My question will be, is Penn State better for what happened on Saturday or are they going to wear this one like a bad hangover and stumble their way through this week and potentially through the month? Because that's where things get dangerous to me at this point for James Franklin. Look, you're one of a, a fresh, new, long contract, but he's at an important point uh, in kind of determining the, the overall perception here for Penn State. That's going to contribute to their ability to reach out, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 miles away and bring in a blue chip prospect. You never know what can make the difference in a situation like that. That could encourage guys to stay home instead of trying to go play for a college football contender away from home. So, Mark, when you look through what lies ahead for Penn State, what do you think is the most important pivot point for them after a really dramatic and you know, emotionally dev devastating loss? I think everybody's got to take a step back in the program and take a deep breath. And, and look at what the national perception of the program is now. Look, look what it's back to, okay? So you lose this game, you're ranked number 13, and you fall three spots in the polls. Okay, so what is that telling you? That's telling you that, that writers who don't cover the game, who don't cover your team every single day, still have that respect that you're a solid top 25 program. And a top 20 program. And really, if you take care of business, you're going to be right there, you know, near or in the top 10. So there's there's that still to play for. I'm curious how many of these NIL deals that have been signed included provisions where if you sign it, you, you're also going to agree to be with the team through the bowl game. You know, that's going to be an interesting thing. I don't know if anybody's going to come out and say that, but I do know from hearing what some other, what have happened at some other schools, I do think that's part of it. So, and I also think that you have, you know, I think with the veteran players here, uh, one of the interesting things is it might be a little bit different than last year that I don't know that you're looking at uh, however many players decide to skip the bowl game to prepare for the NFL draft. I mean, I think there are some, but I don't know that it's going to be the significant number that maybe it was last year. So, yeah, I mean, I think you have to look at it in a sense that these last four games, if you take care of business, you're going to win them. If you approach it the right way, you are going to win those four games. And as I said earlier, you're probably going to get yourself into a New Year's Six game. And after the last two seasons, as Daniel mentioned, you win 11 games across two seasons. You know, you're lucky to get into the Outback Bowl last year. And the previous year, people wanted you to go to a bowl, even though you didn't deserve it. Uh, now you're, you're back to where you were pre-pandemic, okay? You're back to where you were. Is that good enough? No, but it's a step. It's a step to getting back to attempting to compete with the better teams, with the best team. I shouldn't say the better teams. I should say the best team in the Big Ten. So I think that's what they have to hang their hats on. And, you know, we're going we're gonna to find out soon enough 
Uh, you know, I think the positive about Indiana is that it's a 3.30 kick. They've gone out there so many times for noon kicks, and it's just like taking them two quarters to wake up. And it just is – but but w- if they go out there and take care of business, and I think they're going to, you know, I think that's going to set a positive tone for those last three games. The best team you're going to face from here on out is Maryland. You get Maryland at home. I think that's a positive, in my view. Uh, then Michigan State would be, be – you know, you're getting Michigan State at home. Uh, so you only have one team on the road and that's a team that, you know, looked pretty bad last week. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to be too tough on them, Tyler, but I think it's all manageable there to, to, to easily go to, to get those 10 wins if they take care of things mentally. So that's the key. We'll be right back on the Lions 24 seven podcast. eBay motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love. You transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, Roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Indiana, by the way, they, they began this season 3-0. and They began the season with a win over Illinois, which has been like the Cinderella story of the Big Ten, but they have dropped five in a row since then. They're at 3-5. and five. Michigan State, which is the, the, the closeout of this uh, regular season, they have lost five of six games. I'm sorry, four of five games. And then uh, Rutgers has lost four of five games as well. So when Maryland is the biggest, uh, you know, biggest threat on your schedule remaining on Halloween, it should be a – you know, a capable path for you to get to those 10 wins and, and, and maybe punch your ticket to an orange bowl or a situation like that. I think the, the underlying issue here as well, just going back to the quarterback conversation, it's one that we will never be able to get a read on in our formal settings, but you have to wonder about it. Where does the locker room stand on the quarterback play? What are they seeing on the practice field versus what they see in games? How much are they second guessing some of the decisions the way that we maybe are? Not outright, not going to the offensive coordinator or the head coach knocking on their door and demanding answers, but speaking among themselves while they're having dinner back at the apartment or, or while, you know, while they're checking their own video uh, you know, in, in the facilities. Stuff like that, you just wonder if there's a, maybe an undercurrent and how much the coaching staff needs to monitor something like that. I don't know how much it's going to affect a, a kind of a, a matchup in terms of, of point differential, but it's just something to gauge as you're trying to make sure your locker room stays intact and stays healthy uh, mentally as much as physically during the, the, the final stretch here. And I know that's important for James Franklin. He talks about having everybody you know, on the same page and, and, and working in that same direction. I, I think that's just an aspect of this team, especially among younger elements of this roster who maybe are ready to, to go all in with their young quarterback 
it's just something to juggle here. And Sean Clifford's such a leader, maybe it's not an issue at all right now. But if things trend in a negative direction, that's an aspect beyond just we want to see Drew play. It's how is Drew not playing impacting the locker room culture? And there's something something that's human nature and kind of unavoidable, no matter how you look at it. Yeah, I, th- I think describing that as an undercurrent is a good way to to do it. Um, <clears throat> I mean, all indications from what we heard early in the year, um, you know, Drew Aller was really impressive um, on the practice field. I go back to what uh, the defensive players were saying, because I think that that's kind of a, a good measuring stick uh, when, when it comes to a player like that. And, you know, the defensive players were offering glowing reviews. Um, some of the offensive linemen we talked to talked about Drew Aller finding his voice uh, as, as the season has gone on, as his time at Penn State has gone on. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what it looks like. Um, I think that it is an interesting balance uh, when, you know, Sean Clifford has talked a lot about the, the age gap um, that he has between some of the younger players. And, you know, you can kind of, you know, kind of push that off as a bit of a, a joke sometimes. But, you know, there is a reality where, you know, he is a 24-year-old and there's a lot of 18, 19-year-olds in there um, that might want to see something different that haven't been with him for three or four years, his, his whole starting tenure um, and stuff like that. Um, but it is something to monitor. I mean, I, given the way that this program operates, I, I don't necessarily think it'll be something that we see kind of break out in the public. Um, you know, I think that Penn State has always done a good job in kind of a, you know, united front or, you know, taking their, their keys from James Franklin. But, yeah. you know, it is something to, to think about um, because, you know, we've seen how this team can, can spiral uh, pretty easily. I mean, we saw that in 2020. We saw it in 2021. Uh, there was the chance that it could have happened earlier this month. It didn't. Now we're going to see it again uh, in kind of a, a, a different view and in some different circumstances, given, you know, that we're later in the year. Um, the games are winnable, but Indiana can be plucky. I mean, depending on what happens uh, in, in in the bottom of the top 25 next week, Maryland could come in here ranked um, in, in a couple weeks. And, you know, you said her. hopefully. <laughs> I did not say hopefully. I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. Um, yeah, but I mean that'll be a big game for them, big game for Rutgers, and then I think Michigan State is kind of a wild card right now, uh, given what we saw this weekend um, and, and where that that program is. So it'll be interesting uh, at the end of this month. I mean, I think that Penn State passed its its first test uh, in terms of the avoiding the spiral, um, and this will be the second one and. I think that this one will be even even more difficult, you know, given where we are in the year, um, given where guys' heads could be, and and given what is uh, what is ahead for some of these individuals. Tyler, can yeah, I make I think, one point yeah. on, on Aller? I mean, just watching the, uh, during the game and then seeing the TV replay and then being down there on the field at the end of the game, yeah, I think his body language has been really good. You know, when there was a big play, yeah, he's one of the first guys over there congratulating Clifford. You know, this isn't a five-star guy who's moping on the sideline because he's not playing. And I think that's a really good sign. And I, and I, it, listen, I also want to be clear that, you know, we could be tough on Clifford here. But it, listen, he's a 24-year-old quarterback. You know, that, that's part of it anymore. But I, I have a ton of respect for the guy. I mean, I, you know, he has a huge heart. He's the toughest quarterback or one of the toughest quarterbacks I've ever seen. And if he's healthy, he comes out and faces the music after every game. So, 
there's a level of respect there that I think we all have. I don't want to talk for you guys, but I think I, I, I could safely say that, that I think we all have, that even if we are critical of him, you know, we still respect the hell out of that guy. And I also, I just think the dynamic there between him and Aller, and really it seems that whole quarterback room from the outside looking in seems really good. And I think it's the, the body language from Aller it, during games. I just think that's a real positive thing for a guy who we know is as good as he is uh, to, to not be getting down, to be sending the right message after Clifford successful and being one of the first guys out there to congratulate him. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, we heard from Mike Yersich, and he actually credited Christian Veyer for, for setting the tone in that regard. When he was lost yeah. his number two job to, to Aller, he said he has never wavered in his support, game days, practice, supporting, and that has seemed to resonate with the room. And it's important, you know, everyone's, you know, you, you feel like it's almost a one-year rental with big-time quarterbacks anymore because of the way college football works. Right. So it's important to, to note that, and I completely agree with you. It seems like Drew Aller is really enjoying himself. And if you listen to our podcast Prior to Drew's enrollment, we didn't know how the season was going to shake out in any way, shape, or form, but he said he was completely ready to embrace, if this was what was required, a redshirt season, working behind a guy who's played five years of college football, and then doing the best he could, you know, going into his first full offseason as a college football quarterback. And he's ahead uh, because of what happened in September of, of where we thought he might be. But it's been a little bit of while since we've seen him play a meaningful stretch of football, and you wonder if that might change. Daniels, just quickly to note what you said, against Michigan, why this one might be a little bit harder to pick yourself off of, because after Michigan, you had the whiteout back at home, and you had Ohio State still on the horizon, right? Those are two things you can really cling hard to, especially Ohio State. You beat Ohio State, that's going to cancel out the Michigan loss in a lot of ways, in a lot of people's eyes, and they're going to be back in that conversation. Now you're trying to, to pick yourself up and, and reach and grasp for something, does a maybe ranked Maryland matchup a couple weeks from now do it? Does a trip to Bloomington, Indiana this Saturday do it? You know, that's where the coaching staff and the leaders on this team, including Sean Clifford, off of a really rough you know outcome for him, and he talked you know talked about taking that personally. Those guys don't have time to waste because uh, the month of November can get away from teams in college football these days. You don't want to land on that list. You want to finish strong. Speaking of finishing strong here, let's focus on some positives um, because Katron Allen, I think, continues to assert himself as a really strong presence. Uh, got a couple touchdowns, uh, one through the air, one on the ground and a fourth down rush that I thought he was going to be stopped on. Gave that second effort, fought through contact, got into the end zone. You know what he's done the last few weeks. Everyone had a bad game against Michigan, but in one half of football against Northwestern, 86 yards on 21 carries. Of course, the fumbles were an issue there. The week before, he goes for 111 yards and a touchdown against Central Michigan, 77 on 15 carries last week against Minnesota. And then here against Ohio State, he's at 90 total yards on 14 touches with a couple scores. And then lastly, Parker Washington. I mean, what a performance. If he can span, if he can kind of stack these together in November, he and his season will be viewed very much differently than how it was of six, seven games into it. I just wanted to spotlight those couple of guys. And, and also, uh, Bryce Nefter got thrown into it with this starter right tackle with what he had to encounter. Um, this one, this one was a hell of a matchup for him to encounter. And unfortunately the highlight reel on the other end is going to feature a lot of Efner in a negative light. Um, and we have some things to sort through on the offensive line going on the road at Indiana. Is Caden Wallace back? Is Landon Tengwall available now? Will Landon Tengwall be available in November? Um, you know, just a couple things to note there offensively. Go wherever you want with that, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you look at the the individual performances. Um, yeah, I came back. I come back. I'll come back to Parker Washington uh, because I, I wrote about him uh, on Sunday morning for the site uh, Lions24/7.com. 
Um, but it was just a very, very uh, solid outing from him uh, or beyond solid. I think it was what we were expecting to see more of this year and what we were just kind of waiting to see, um, waiting for that that big breakout game. But I went back and, and rewatched some of his catches. Um, you know, obviously there was the, the long touchdown catch and run. Um, I really liked the play where he came out of the backfield for a first down. Um, I think seven of his 11 um, catches went for first downs, uh, which is obviously what you want to see. But there was one play, um, the throw up the right sideline. I think it was a 26-yard gain um, early in the fourth quarter, I believe. Uh, I was going back through my notes, and it just said, Parker, absurd catch. Um, and so I had to, I was like, oh, wait. And, you know, in the fog of war at the end of the game, you're trying to remember when was that. So I went back and found it. And it was just Sean Clifford just placed a, a ball where only Parker Washington could get it over the defender. And he really laid out and made a really nice catch up the sideline. Um, and I think that he really showcased what he's able to do and, you know, how he can be a, a complete wide receiver. Um, you know, I know that he's someone who trying to project him to the NFL is a little, a little difficult. Um, you know, he snuck into the first round uh, of a couple mock drafts back, uh, in, in May. Um, the production this year didn't necessarily match up with that, but he's someone who's going to be playing on Sundays. You look at how the NFL is trending, um, how in demand wide receivers are, especially in the draft, um, you know, how many of them go, how high they go. I think that he is someone who, depending on you know, what he does in terms of testing, what he, what he does the rest of this year, um, you know, he could be a day two pick in that second or third round. Um, you know, I've been just really impressed with him. And I think that that, that film of him against Ohio state, you know, there's a good chance depending on, when he does declare for the draft, whether that's, you know, after the season, if he comes back for a fourth year, I think that a big part of his highlight package is going to be him against these Ohio state defensive backs against this Ohio state defense. And Mark, I wanted to know if, if you kind of had any commentary on your bold prediction, you're the one who suggested that we bring these back up on a Monday. So let's begin with yours because uh, last week, along with our score predictions, we tossed out, you know, a quote-unquote bold prediction, and I'll let you rehash it and let you kind of describe how things turned out. Yeah, I predicted that Parker Washington was going to have more receiving yards than anybody else. <laughs> Whoops. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. It was Mitchell Tinsley. I meant Parker <laughs> Washington. I meant Parker. No, I, I thought Mitchell Tinsley was going to have a breakout game and have more mm. receiving yardage than anybody else in the game. And Well, I mean, I guess Parker Washington had more. I guess Marvin Harrison Jr. had a couple more. <laughs> uh, I guess even Julian Fleming had more, which, uh, yeah, so so I did not keep, get that keep one. Going, right. Keep going. Keep going. Kansas Dover. Buka. Theo Johnson. Theo Johnson. We'll get there. Better. You know what I would say, though, uh, in all seriousness, is that, and I deserve all that, the hassle that I'm getting over that, Uh Remember back in 2020 when, when Penn State lost Fleming, you know, five-star from Pennsylvania. People didn't even know who Parker Washington was. Penn State fans didn't even know who he was. You know, kid out of Texas, three-star, and look what he's become. And Fleming obviously hasn't emerged like that. Now, he's in a different wide receiver room. I mean, uh, you know, Parker Washington was behind kind of Jahan Dotson, and Julian Fleming's been behind like six Jahan Dotsons in that wide receiver room. Uh, 
But, yeah, it was good to see Parker Washington break out. I thought Mitchell Tinsley uh, was prepared. Uh, I still am high on Mitchell Tinsley. I think he's been a good addition to the, to the team. But kudos to, Carter, or to Parker Washington for proving me wrong. And, wow, how impressive was Marvin Harrison Jr. When they don't have one of their – who's allegedly their top receiver, you know, to see that guy step up against a very good secondary, you know, I think you have to look at both of those guys and just say, congrats, you did a great job. My bold prediction was boldly wrong. <laughs> yeah, so was mine. I, I, I predicted that Zaki Wheatley, the takeaway king, uh, it was going to come up with the takeaway on Saturday. It didn't happen. No one did on the Penn State defense. C.J. Stroud played clean football, uh, no turnovers. And additionally, Zaki Wheatley actually played his fewest snap count against any Big Ten opponent this fall. So I was way off uh, in terms of his involvement. Unfortunately, guys, we just didn't see the, the playmakers uh, and the game wreckers on the defensive side of the football in this matchup. And that's really been lacking because we've seen those kind of guys in this Penn state, Ohio state series from the Buckeyes in big moments defensively. Micah Parsons was like a fleeting glimpse at greatness here because of how quickly his career came and went. But the last few years, some of these bigger moments just has, they haven't seen, uh, you know, I don't know that I felt like delivered some of them last year in, in some critical moments, but that has been missing the ability to get a quarterback off platform when you really need to, uh, to just quicken the pace of the passing game by even a fraction of a second, give your talented defensive secondary a chance. Haven't seen the pressure pile up. I know I'm off on a tangent, but just defensively guys, um, haven't seen those kind of uh, in a matchup like this. Didn't see that kind of step up moment from from really across the board, um, which is unfortunate because you needed probably one, two, maybe three of those kind of plays to to swing the pendulum in Penn State's favor uh, in a game like this. I, I think that that segues nicely with uh, us going over my bold prediction now, yeah. <laughs> uh, which was C.J. Stroud under sixty percent, um, not even close. I just had to double check my math on twenty six to thirty three, and that comes out to you know, rounding up to 79%. Um, so way off there. Um, I think that maybe, you know, I think the pass rush has been maybe one of the the bigger disappointments. I think this year, when you look at the defense, uh, what we were expecting out of Adisa Isaac, what we were expecting out of Chop Robinson, denied Dennis Sutton. Um, I think that the the potential is there and, and we've seen some flashes. Um, you know, we talked a lot about Chop Robinson being around the quarterback, um, but I think that you're seeing the difference between, you know, a, a quarterback hurry versus a quarterback sack, a pass breakup versus an interception, um, that there's, you know, a distinct difference in those things and the good or great defenses can make, can take that next step, can, can turn those almost into some things. And, and we can see how that changes a play. And Saturday was the, the perfect time for it. I mean, that's what you needed. Uh, you knew you were going to have to steal a couple possessions um, while also trying to give that offense as, as few possessions as possible. And Penn State couldn't do it. Um, and I think that, you know, I mean, the offense, Clifford's turnovers, um, you know, were, were huge in the game. But I, I look at the defense and I think that after talking to the players and, and looking at the flow of the game, um, I think I understand what they were doing a little bit better uh, in terms of trying just not to get beat over the top, um, you know, being content with the, you know, those plays over the middle. Um, but if you're going to do that, you have to tackle Cade Stover. Um, you know, you then you can't get beat when uh, when Ohio State finally does go deep, um, like on the Emeka Buka 42 uh, yard pass. So, you know, I think that 
you you were going to need those guys to step up and, and make game changing plays. And I thought that the defense for the most part was solid. Um, you know, you take away a pick six, that's 37 points uh, to an Ohio state team that is, you know, elite. Um, and then if you take the other two turnovers away, that's, you know, that's another 14 points off the board. Um, I think I saw it pointed out today that uh, JT Tuamalo uh, led to 14 points uh, off of his play today in a game that Ohio state ended up winning by 13. Um, so mm-hmm. that's what, that's what Penn state needs. I think that, you know, you needed those playmakers to step up, didn't really come through. Um, and I think that that's something that I'll be watching for, for these final four weeks of the season. While you were talking, I, I did some math myself, Daniel, and, and I'm going to actually say five starting defensive linemen here for Penn State because I'm going to include Chop Robinson as part of the conversation. So Chop Robinson, Nick Tarburton, Adiza Isaac, P.J. Mustafer, Hakeem Beeman, five starting defensive linemen. Uh, none of them have missed significant time this season. Chop missed one game. Three sacks total among those five names, guys. Three sacks total. We are two-thirds through this season. And it's actually pretty remarkable when you set up the stat sheet and you order it by sacks, the names that you go through. Johnny Dixon, who's a cornerback, has three sacks. Denied Dennis Sutton, who is not getting much more than 15 to 20 snaps per game and hasn't had a sack, I think, since September, is at three sacks as well. Abdul Carter, who's you know a linebacker and, and, and just started his first game a couple weeks ago, is at two and a half. No one else has more than one. So I think you're right, Daniel. I think we got through that Auburn game and the stat sheet jumped a little bit because of the sacks they got on the road in the SEC. And you said, it seems like this is going to be where it needs to go in Big Ten play. But right now it's taking you back a couple of years and where we're talking about almost sacks and almost sacks drive people nuts. And uh, it was a huge missing part of the ingredients on Saturday. And quite frankly, in this Ohio State versus Penn State matchup, year by year by year, there's been some where Sean Clifford has gotten pummeled. I don't recall an Ohio State quarterback really spending significant time under duress against these Nittany Lions. And that really adds up when you're talking about fourth quarter composure, fourth quarter health for the quarterback. Guys, let's finish here. Uh, we got we got James Franklin on Tuesday. We've got practice to look ahead to. Indiana is the matchup to look ahead to on Saturday. But, Mark, this feels like a week where it goes beyond the matchup. As we've discussed so much, uh, coming out of Beaver Stadium, uh, you understand why the players were hanging their heads. You understand why James Franklin showed up as quickly as possible and, and, and left uh, that press conference. That was that was really rapid for, for James Franklin and a postgame setting. What are you looking at this week uh, for these Nittany Lions? What are you looking to hear? What are you looking to see? That's going to give you an indication of things. Let's see how quickly they could put that behind them. I mean, it was almost, uh, I don't know, symbolic maybe that after the game, if you watch on the Brennan cam that I did, and I usually don't plug this, but it was interesting to me that Franklin usually spends significant time on the field meeting with recruits and, and that sort of thing. And he literally jogged. He, that was the quickest I've seen him get off the field in a long, long time. I mean, he jogged back through the tunnel and was not – he was very nice to people, but he was like clearly – you know, let me through, let me get back, you know, let, let me get back there as soon as, as possible. Then he got out to us. I mean, we joke around. We have a little pool of, of, of when James Franklin's going to show up in the media room. And I think it was way under what anybody uh, expected. Uh, you know, the players, you know, I was a little bit surprised that when given an opportunity to say, you know, how would you assess your performance that Sean Clifford just basically said it's a team game, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, that surprised me a little, you know, after the, after the Michigan game, 
you know, uh, PJ Mustafer, we made a lot of the fact that he said, Hey, that was embarrassing. Uh, I would imagine on their own, they're owning this stuff, but I think they have to put that behind them as quickly as they can, because again, it's right there for you to still be where you haven't been since before the pandemic. I mean, Mm -hmm. that pandemic Penn state did and Franklin has admitted this and for a lot of different reasons, Penn state did not handle that pandemic season as well as a lot of other programs did. And I think it knocked them backward for a couple of years. Well, listen, you're not in the big 10 title uh, contention. Now you're not in national title contention, but you could get back to where you were. So I think Clifford was the one who said, flush this one, focus on the last four games. You hope if you're a Penn State fan, you hope if you're a Penn State player, you're able to get back to that New Year Six bowl game because we've seen it. We've been there, Tyler, right? That's a different level of bowl game. It's handled a different way. It's handled much like you know the NCAA tournament in hoops. It's handled much like the, the, the BCS uh, uh, championship games are, uh, or the college football playoff games. It's the same kind of feel so they at treat least, the media fantastic yeah but they also <laughs> treat the players and everything yeah. and, it, and it's it's the same media situation so i think for these young players yeah. to get in that atmosphere where they're so protected that it's i think it would be a good thing for them so again i know I'm, I'm rambling on about this but they have to put that behind them focus on what lies ahead and we're going to know soon enough once by halftime of that indiana game i think we're going to know we're going to have a really good idea which way this team is going. I don't think we're they're going to say all the right stuff this week because they always do, right? They're going to mm-hmm. say all the right things. Franklin is so savvy that he's going to definitely say the right things. Their leaders are so savvy that they're going to say the right things. Halftime of the Indiana game, halftime in Bloomington, like what, five o'clock out there in Bloomington on Saturday, we're going to have a real good feel for it. Yeah, one and no is going to be the mantra again this week. To me, November is about four and no. I think back to 2017, they lost a couple of heartbreaking games against Michigan State and Ohio State that in one fell swoop kind of took them out of all that national conversation buzz, but they finished on a win streak. They got out to the Fiesta Bowl. They beat a, a really quality opponent in Washington. They got to 11 wins. It's there for you, and that would be big bouncing back for James Franklin. And, and you get to that point, you still look back at this past Saturday, and it stings a little bit, but if you look past it this Saturday – and you see that as the moment the floodgates open and led to a, a really tough November for you, then then that changes the complexion of this entire 2022 calendar year. So we got a lot to cover, as usual, at lines247.com. We'll continue to do that in the days ahead. I know that Tyler Calvaruzzo already has a basketball recruiting notebook from some prospects who are in Beaver Stadium recruiting uh, in full force as well in the 2023-2024 cycles for football. A lot of coverage coming your way at lines247.com for our VIP subscribers. We'll step away for now. We're back with another podcast midweek out of the James Franklin Press Conference right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast.